All right, um, we're in a sermon series going through the book of Acts, and uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been uh, it, it's just been a, a good experience as we've just been walking through. We're we're still now like in the middle of Acts chapter two. And I firmly believe that as we walk through God's word, that we're confronted with things that we don't necessarily like or things that, um, that really kind of rub against our flesh. And so this is going to be, this is going to be one of those messages today. Um, last week, we, we left off in Acts chapter 2 where the descent of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came, um, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There were these like what looked like tongues of fire that came and rested on their heads. And, uh, and then they all started speaking in other languages and a huge crowd gathers. Um, Luke writes about this crowd, three words. You can find it in your Bible. Words he uses to describe this crowd were bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. So they're like, wow, ooh, huh? All of those three things in a crowd. That's kind of probably this crowd. And so... Um, some of them were like, what does this mean? This is amazing. This is, the most, this is, a, this is an event. And then others were kind of like, I, I don't know, are they drunk? I am pretty sure they've, they've had too much wine. And uh, now today we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And we're about to read the very first Christian sermon ever recorded. Very first one. And I just want you to understand as we read this, that after this sermon was preached, 3,000 people got saved and were baptized. 3,000 people. So, at the very least, could we stand in the honor of reading God's word in the very first Christian sermon ever preached, preached by Peter. The crowd is gathered. They're all speaking in tongues. They're all like, what in the world's going on? They're perplexed, amazed, and bewildered. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth uh, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among and through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. 
You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with the joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and, and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then he drops the mic. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it changes hearts and changes direction. God, I, I thank you that your word is the very life that it separates soul and spirit, bone and marrow. I pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same as we read the very first Christian sermon ever preached. And I pray that we too would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. That was it. First Christian sermon, uh, 3,000 people get saved. And um, let me just say, let me get it out of the way. I know some of you are thinking, that was a quick sermon. It's like, what, two minutes? Uh, Pastor Justin normally drones on for like 40 minutes. And uh, maybe he should take some pointers from Peter. Uh, before you go too far down that road, I want you to just, in your Bibles, you can look at verse 40. Verse 40 says with many other words. (laughs) He warned them, and he didn't just warn them, he pleaded with them, which takes extra time. He warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So I just need you to understand that um, this was probably more of like an outline of what Peter preached and not necessarily a manuscript. He probably preached longer than me. Um, As we kind of look through even the book of Acts, um, I think Peter was long-winded. Paul was definitely long-winded. There's this story in Acts chapter 20 where Paul um, preached until midnight. And Luke even says he went on and on. So much so, you can read this for yourself, Acts chapter 20, this guy named Eutychus fell asleep in a windowsill during Paul's sermon, got so tired, literally just whoop, fell out the window to his death, three stories. You can't make this stuff up. Why would you? Why would you, right? Like, why would you make these kinds of stories up? Um, I mean, it's tragic, right? Tragic. Moral of the story, never fall asleep while the pastor's preaching. You might want to sit up. I'm just going to say bad things may happen. Um, I'm just 
You never know. Now, this guy had to get raised from the dead. I hope I don't have to raise anyone from the dead today. But, but this, is, this is what happens. So let's dig in. Let's get into this, this first message. Um, Peter, he, a crowd gathers. Some of them are amazed. Some of them, we heard, are confused. Some of them are wondering if these people are dazed and confused. And Peter stands up and he commands the crowd. And he's like, listen up. Listen very carefully what I'm about to say. And he first addresses the hecklers in the crowd. Um, he says, verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. A duh, right? Um, I love that the first sermon kind of kicks off with a little bit of humor. Essentially, he's saying we might could be drunk, but it's not dinner time. And so it's only 9 a.m. Don't be ridiculous. And uh, I mean, it's ironclad logic. I mean, he just, he settles it once and for all. And people are like, yeah, okay, it is kind of early. Um, and then he goes into the original three-point sermon that all preachers preach, usually uh, three-point sermon. And these are the three points that we're going to talk about today. The first one is, what is happening? He addresses that first. And the next one is this, how is this happening? And the third point is, why is this happening? So, what's happening, how's this happening, and why is this happening? So the first one he talks about, what, what's happening? And he starts off by saying, this is that. Crowds gathered, they're here because the sound, the, the tongues, all of that, and Peter stands up and he says, this is that. And let me just read it for you again. Joel, um, he says in verse 16, he says, no, now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's, he's saying, this is that. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they're going to prophesy. And I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned darkness, moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, now here's, here's the interesting thing for me. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't really seem to directly address what all the people are amazed and perplexed about. I don't know if you caught that. Like, um, he's essentially saying this is that. Think about this. The crowd gathers for what? For different reasons, probably, you know. Um, the first reason is because there was this sound. I think the sound wasn't just in an upper room. I think the sound was heard all around as the, the heavens were opened. And um, there was this sound of a mighty rushing wind. And so at, the crowd starts gathering towards the sound. What the heck is going on? The second thing, once they get there, 120 people pour out of this building and they're all speaking in tongues. They're speaking in languages that all, everybody that's there in this crowd are like, dude, I know that guy doesn't, is not one of me, and yet he's speaking just like me. He's talking about the wonders of God in, his, in a tongue that he doesn't normally use. And um, this prophecy like, actually says nothing about the sound of a tornado that just maybe ripped through. It says nothing about little wispy things that may or may not still be on all 120 of their heads. Like It says nothing about speaking in tongues. It says nothing about why everybody is gathered there. And yet Peter's like, this is that. And while I would be a bit frustrated because I'm like, well, yeah, but we were kind of wondering what is going on right now. 
I love what Peter is saying. Essentially what Peter is saying here, he's communicating something far deeper than talking about windy sounds and tongue talking and fire flames on heads. He's like, I know y'all got questions about the details of what's going on here. Some of you think we're drunk. Some of you think what in the world is going on, right? Some of you are amazed, but I'm telling you, everything has changed. Everything has changed. I know some of you got concerns about about what you're seeing and what you're hearing right here out of this crowd. I'm just telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. So we could, we could sit here and talk about wispy things and, and speaking in tongues and we could talk about the windy sound and all of that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, God has poured out his Holy Spirit on all people today. Like it just happened. And you're the first people to see this. And I need you to understand like this alone, this statement alone was revolutionary because Jews knew that the Holy Spirit rested on certain holy people, but not on everybody. I mean, not like you. It'd be like, you know, holy people, right? It'd be like leaders like Moses and kings like David and prophets like Elijah. Everybody knew that the Holy Spirit didn't just show up like, poof, I just made me, myself all of a sudden and I'm, I'm now here. No, but they knew about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rested on holy people and a few select people at a time. And it wasn't for, for everyone so I want you to understand, when, when Peter is preaching this very first message, he's saying this is for everyone. Men, women, old people, little kids, rich, poor, black, white, Jew, Gentile, like you and your children, even the children you even had yet, people that... People like you and people that are not like you. People who you think that deserve it and people who you think don't deserve it. People who have put in the time and people that have just seemed to like stumbled into church. Like these are the people that are eligible for this new move of God, of his Holy Spirit on all flesh. And he's like, what's it going to look like? Sometimes we get stuck in the windy sound and the flame and the tongue talking. He says, you can expect to prophesy. You can expect to see visions while you're fully awake. You can expect to dream dreams while you're asleep. You can, you can expect to see wonders and signs. You can essentially expect God to speak to you and through you as he rests on you. You can expect the unexpected. Welcome to the birthplace of a new era. God is doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? This is huge. Absolutely huge. So he's like, this is what's going on. Just want you to understand. This thing that is prophesied long ago, today's the day where all of a sudden it comes into existence. The second thing he talks about is this. How is this happening? He talks about it in verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. He tells them many times, listen, listen. Hey, 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 whoa, listen to this. Fellow Israelites, listen up, sit up. You don't want to fall out a window. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. I did? He says, yeah, you did. I, 
I wasn't even here. No, you're still responsible. Your sin nailed him to the cross. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Can I just encourage you, church, if you're looking for an inspirational dead guy, you're going to be very underwhelmed by Jesus. You're looking for like an inspirational rabbi, teacher, guy in a, in a bathrobe with long hair, and you're thinking that maybe I can learn something from what his teachings have to say to me and to my life right now. You're going to be very underwhelmed because although Jesus had some really great teachings and some really great things to say, he is and was the second person of the Trinity. He is God first and foremost. And I think the key to a vibrant Christian life is never forgetting that you live and walk with a risen Lord, not an inspirational dead guy. He's alive. He's not dead. And he continues in verse 32. And this is, this is the clincher. This is how it's happening. This is how all of this is available. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it. He showed up to individuals and small groups. He showed up to 500 people at one time after he rose from the dead. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit is being poured out because Jesus Christ conquered death, because he ascended to heaven and now has poured out the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the thing that, that, that Peter is talking about. He's like, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. People are like, well, Justin, you know, I just, I appreciate that you, that you preach the word of God, that you preach Jesus. I don't know what else I would preach on. It is all about Jesus. Even Peter, the very first sermon, he's like, look, back at Joel, this is what Joel said. And David, this is what David said. About who? About Jesus all, everything in the Old Testament, there are types and shadows of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It all leads to Jesus. Jesus is the climax of every theme of the Bible. He, when it comes to characters and people that we look up to, we literally, Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus, Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the better Jonah. He is the rock of Moses. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the better high priest. The Old Testament points it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. The trouble that we, that we struggle with is that we live in a culture where, where we're taught that everything is about me. You do you. You do you, and you figure out what works for you, because after all, I mean, God exists to make you happy. You, you just, you do you. And we, listen, guys, we even think that the Bible is about me. No, the Bible is not about you. It is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. Jesus is the hinge point of all of history. History is not some kind of chronological chaos. It is linear. God has a plan, which means history is leading somewhere. It's not about you. It's awesome that you get to be a part of it, but it is all solely about Jesus. It's all about him. It always has been about him. Which means that even if your history looks like a disaster, your future doesn't have to. Because history is leading somewhere. It's not just this chaos where we all just suck oxygen on planet Earth hoping that something is real and true and there's something outside of this, 
this grave that we're all destined to. Because God says that he works all things together for good for those who love God. That, you wonder how this happens? You wonder how you have the the, the Holy Spirit available into your life here now in 2021? It is all because of Jesus. How does it happen? Jesus. And the last thing he says this is, why has it happened? The, The short answer to save sinners like you. To save sinners like you. After he preaches this epic sermon, one that we kind of have as a standard, right? Verse 37, this is the response of the crowd. They say this, when the people heard this, they were, this word, cut to the heart. That's their response. They, when they heard this sermon, they were cut to the heart. That word, if you look it up in the Greek, can literally be translated as pierced thoroughly or stabbed. It's kind of that, that sharp pain of conviction in your heart. Um, have you ever had that happen to you? where maybe it's in worship, maybe it's in reading your Bible, maybe it's in preaching where all of a sudden you're sitting there and it's like, man, is anybody else feeling this? Because I feel this sharp pain of conviction in my heart. It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not shame. It's not even necessarily guilt, it's conviction. It's this, this reality that God is moving, he's doing something, he's speaking something into your, your life. Here's what I would say. I sure hope you have. Because that's what it's meant to do. That's, that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction through God's word into the life of a believer. It's the beginning of the spark of faith in somebody. Conviction is the key used to open up the door to our hearts in salvation. And this is the beginning. You hear these, these people, they're just like, I don't know what's going on. Peter's, Peter's quoting stuff and all this, and I feel I'm cut to the heart. Hebrews 4.12, Paul writes about the Word of God in this way. In the same, very similar terms, he says, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, cuts to the heart, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What, is, what are we talking about here? The Bible, the Word of God. And I, I've been struggling with this this week that... And I mean this, I mean this truly in, in, in love as your pastor, that if the word of God is something that is boring and dry to you, you may be reading it wrong. Because it's never supposed to be that, because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
So what do I mean? How could I be reading it wrong? I think many times, instead of simply reading the Bible, allow the Word of God to read you. In our attempt to go through Bible memorization and be able to recall verses at any given moment, have we missed the fact that God is actually wanting to speak and to divide our our hearts from our intentions and our motives and do a work in us as we're cut to the heart? Because that's what's happening to these people, this crowd of people. I don't even know. 3,000 get saved, so... Even if 50% of them got saved, there's 6,000 people that, pe- that Peter's preaching to. And this is what's happening. The, this, this Pentecost morning, they're cut to the heart after hearing the word of God under the anointing of the spirit of God. And it's this, this reality, church, that Christianity is not some ideology that you just decide, decide to adopt. Christianity is not some religion that you just decide you need more of in your life. The Holy Spirit sweeps you up into it. That's how we come to God. He woos you. He sweeps you up. He convicts you. He cuts you to the heart. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I don't even know. I've still got a lot of questions about this whole Jesus thing and how all this works. And I got a whole lot of doubts and things that are going on. And he just sweeps us up and he convicts our hearts. And we're just drawn to Jesus. Cuts you to the heart. It's this, it's this reality that like before you're cut to the heart, you look at God's, well, you look at your sin as just breaking God's law. Whether I agree with it or not, it's yeah, okay, yeah, it's, that seems a little bit of an overreach. He's kind of digging into some stuff I think you should lay off of, but it's just breaking God's law. But when you're cut to the heart, you realize that your sin breaks God's heart. And all of a sudden something changes. And it's not about, ah, I don't really agree with that, God. Ah, I think you're kind of overstepping here. Ah, I think I'd do it differently. All of a sudden, you just realize when you're cut to the heart that you're breaking God's heart and your sin all of a sudden takes on a whole new meaning. And rather than arguing with him, you just say, I'll give it up for you. I'll give it up. Because I'm cut to the heart. Church, allow yourself to be cut to the heart. Because when you allow yourself to be cut to the heart, it causes you to ask questions like this crowd did. Verse 37. Look what they asked. Brothers, they're cut to the heart, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? When the Holy Spirit cuts you to the heart, you can't help yourself but be moved to action. When the Holy Spirit cuts you to the heart, you know that for you, inaction is sin. There's this, there's this interplay when the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when, when he cuts us to the heart, that we have to ask that question, what am I now to do? What shall we do? And for some of you, you've launched ministries For some of you, you've given away money. For some of you, you've forgiven people who don't deserve it. For some of you, you went on the missions field. For some of you, you risked persecution. For some of you, you stepped out and asked if you could pray for somebody. For some of you, you changed jobs. For some of you, you responded to an altar call. Why? Because you were cut to the heart. And when you're cut to the heart, you realize, I have to do something. I've got to respond to this. And so the crowd asks this question, and it's very interesting what Peter responds with, verse 38. It's the first, like, question. What what are we supposed to do? 
we, we like your preaching. I feel like this, oh, ah, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And Peter replies, the first time, Peter replies, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I titled the message this week, What Shall We Do? And it's interesting that Peter's first step is to repent. Can I tell you that it is so important for us to understand, church, that there's a difference between being cut to the heart and repenting. They're not the same. And I fear that even in our American church, we think that that feeling pierced, stabbed, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, feeling cut to the heart is the same thing as repenting. Ah, really got, you know, kicked in the butt on that message or wow, God, that was an awesome worship service and yet it doesn't move into anything of asking the question of what shall we do? And, and, and Peter's first thing, he's like, you feel convicted of your sin? Repent. It's his first step. Literally, it's like, man, that was a really great message. I don't know what to do right now. Well, you should probably repent of your sins. And it flies in the face of what we hear in most churches today. You come in, man, I feel this conviction. I don't really know what to do. You should come back to church. Maybe pray this prayer. I don't know. Get some money. Do something. Yeah, maybe you should. And Peter says, no, you need to actually repent of your sin. He's like, you want this gift of salvation? You want this Holy Spirit that we're all walking in right now? Repent of your sin. Your sin. We don't really like to use the S word much anymore. Sin. We don't talk about it in church. We don't talk about it certainly outside of the church. In fact, we've kind of gotten to the place, if we're going to be really honest, where like murder seems to maybe be the only S word. Everything else is just a mistake. Everything else is just a misunderstanding, right? <laughs> you didn't know what I meant there. I, really and truly, I mean, we've watched the degradation of even just the word sin over the years to the point where nothing seems to really be sin anymore. In fact, using that word is just uh, its kind of offensive. Really offensive. And, and I'm not even talking about outside the church. I'm, I'm talking about in, inside the church. We get to that point where we don't like using that or the whole idea of repenting from sin seems very offensive to us. Isn't it interesting let me just say this. Isn't it interesting that the very gateway to salvation can seem more like a stumbling block to us that we trip over? I don't, I don't really have sin. Because if we don't have sin, we don't need a Savior. How is this not a demonic <laughs> agenda to keep the church impotent? Just, just keep, you know, just keep us, you know, keep feeling convicted, you know. Can I feel that conviction? Or better yet, you know, just full of shame, that'd be even better, right? But, don't, but too prideful to repent. And we, we watch even whole churches stay in this cycle of just kind of shame and conviction and never repentance. Because repentance is not just being sorry for your sin, that's conviction. That's being cut to the heart. That, that, that's what that looks like. Repentance is when we do an about face, when we move and we start walking in another direction, when we're not just saying, oh, man, I just, I feel that. I, ah, not, I know that what I'm doing should change, and but, oh, I'll see you next week. No, repentance is walking and saying, I'm going to respond, and then asking God, what shall we do? And then he's got a whole lot of things that we probably should be doing. 
because conviction and repentance are not the same. And, and here's the thing is compromise is always a slow fade. And what we find is that conviction without repentance leads to compromise. Because look, here are your choices. When you're convicted by the Holy Spirit and you do not repent, you can, <laughs> you can either just decide like, well, uh, you know, I'm going to change or I'm going to just rationalize my sin. We won't even call it that. And we look at even in our culture today, what, at first maybe, you know, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin and so we flee from it and then we start to tolerate it. And then we rationalize it. And then we'll legalize our sin. And then we promote our sin. And then we get to the place where we condemn those who still call it sin. It's a slow fade, church. It's a very slow fade. And I'd love to say that we're all talking about everybody else around us, but I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about, about us. And we see this kind of fade all throughout history, whether it's the Israelites or, or Nazis or human slavery or abortion or racism or, or, or sexuality. Like we, we watch this thing continue in the world. Repentance is not just a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a change of direction. It's alignment to God's word. If I, um, let's say you asked me after church, you're like, Pastor Justin, I'm, I'm not from around here and um, could you give me directions on how to get to the main mall? I'd be like, yeah, I, I'm not good with the directions, really, but, uh, you know, I know how to get to the main mall. And so, yeah, you just get on the turnpike right out here with the Biddeford connector and uh, just get on 95 going north. And, you, and if you were like, oh, thank you so much, awesome, I, I really appreciate that, absolutely. And you get in your car and you get on to 95 going south. Now, I would look at you and say, um, I don't think you understood what I said. I said to go north, to which maybe you'd respond, well, I know, I know, I understood what you said. Thank you so much, by the way, for the directions. They were awesome. Really, really very clear. I just didn't want to go north. Kind of wanted to just go, it felt, it felt right to go south. I'm just going to say, felt right. To which I would say to you, in, in all clarity and honesty, you understand, though, that like you can't get where you want to go by walking in the wrong direction, Right? And I wonder how much uh, heartache and consequences even within the body of Christ has come because of a lack of repentance. Not conviction. It's not lack of conviction in the church. It's lack of repentance. Thinking that we can go our own way and still be following Jesus. And wondering why our own way keeps ending up in dead ends. Why our personalized version of Christianity doesn't seem to be working for us. And so I watch people, look, at, as, even as a pastor, I watch people leave the church and even leave faith in Christ only to realize that they were never following Jesus to begin with. Which is why it is the very first step for Peter. You want this? You want to follow Jesus? You've got to choose to follow Jesus. Not just be convicted, but repent. Repent. Because if, if, listen, if the Christian doesn't, you know, if Christianity doesn't look any different than the world around them, then maybe they're convicted, but they haven't repented. 
Church, repentance isn't a bad word. It is actually the pathway to salvation. It is the first step to unlocking the more that God has for you. So if you want more of what God has for you, don't stop at conviction. Begin with repentance. Why don't you stand with me? It's a hard word, huh? Good thing Peter said and I didn't. I mean, he even said, y'all, y'all crucified Jesus. I just got here. What are you talking about? I crucified Jesus. I didn't make that decision. I didn't put him on the cross. What are you talking about? This reality, when you're cut to the heart, you realize you're breaking the heart of God. In verse 41, we see this, that those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a good Sunday. That's a good, that's a good day. C.S. Lewis wrote, We don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms. It's all about surrendering our wills our lives, our hearts, to the will of God. Not just stopping at conviction, but beginning with repentance. The problem is, is that surrender, man, surrender sounds a whole lot like giving up to me. Doesn't it? I mean, repenting sounds a whole lot like me admitting that I'm wrong, and I don't like being wrong. And yet Jesus is like, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And, and all three of those things sound like things I don't want to do. Denying myself sounds a whole lot like losing. Picking up my cross sounds a whole lot like work. And, and, and even following Jesus sounds a whole lot like me giving up control, of which I don't like any of those things. In other words, um, none of this sounds like a win for me. And yet, it is the upside-down way of life that Jesus says, is the way that we find life. And it doesn't make sense unless you do it and then you realize what I thought was working was failing hard. It's not working. Matthew 16, verse 25 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. We're going to end with a worship song today. And here, here's what I would love. As we worship the king, as he is seated in this place and as he's still coming in and the train of his robe fills the temple, I wonder if you, like Isaiah, <laughs> saying, I am ruined, I am literally almost saying, like, I am cut to the heart. And just like these responders from the very first sermon in the book of Acts saying, we are cut to the heart, what shall we do? God, I pray that, that you would cut us to the heart again. Maybe there's been callousness because of, of lack of repentance in our life. Maybe you've called us and convicted us of things that we've just rationalized away and said, well, everybody's doing it, and so it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't really know if it, anything needs to change. In fact, this seems to be kind of tolerated. It's, it's, it's legal now, so I don't even know why this is a, we're even talking about this. And, and yet you know that you know that you know that when you ask that question, what shall we do, he's calling you to do something, 
to give something up, to give something away, to repent of something, to, to change, to commit to something, to, 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 to throw the pills down the toilet, to do something in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so what I want to say to you is, church, I wonder what it is that God is wanting to do in you, not so that you can feel guilty, so that you can be free. Not so that you can feel shame, but so that you can have the more of God that is available to you through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we lift you up today, I pray, if we got to repent, repent. 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 If we got to give something up, we just commit to say, God, I'm going to walk in obedience to this. And I know I keep coming up to the same thing every single day time I come into your presence. And so, Jesus, I'm willing to say, maybe there's something here to it, and I choose to walk your way rather than thinking I can get to the same place going my own direction. And so I do an about face to you, Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. God, what is it that you want to do in and through us? And let's worship him together, church. Let's lift his name high, high above our name, high above every other name. Lord, have your way in us, Lord Jesus.